Well, good morning again, and it's good to be with you these mornings this week to study the book of Romans. Um, I personally have been very blessed and also challenged by going through these passages, and it's good to have so many of you here in the morning to share this time together as we study. Why don't we have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, thank you again for bringing us here. Bless us now as we continue our study through the book of Romans and as we look especially at Romans chapter 5 and 6 today, may you bless our minds. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Just a brief review of what we have studied so far. On Monday, we looked at the power of the gospel, the power, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What we saw is that the gospel is powerful because God's righteousness is revealed in the lives of the just who live by faith. And those are the ones who believe. When that gospel is a witness to the world, it will have such a power that it will usher in the second coming of Christ because God's righteousness will be revealed to the world. What we saw yesterday is that Abraham is a living demonstration of someone who believed because the power of God of sal unto salvation is to all who believe. And Romans 4 says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Specifically, he believed because God is creator, he could create a new life with him and Sarah, which is an illustration of the new birth experience each one of us can have. And when you get to the end of Romans 4, and I didn't point this out yesterday, at Romans 4.21, it says that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God promised he was able or also able to perform. So what does it mean to believe? It means to be fully persuaded that what God promises, he's able also to perform. And that's what it means to have faith, being fully persuaded that what God promises, he's able to perform. And that because of that, righteousness was imputed to Abraham, and it was not just for him, it's also for us. And that's the good news. So it's not just the pie-in-the-sky experience for Abraham. It's also something that we can have. Now, as we look at Romans 5 and 6 today, we're just going to hit a few points from Romans 5 and spend the rest of our time in Romans 6. Romans 5, um, the first half is probably more studied than the last half. The last half is very theological. So we'll just try to hit a few key points. But notice how Romans 5 verse 1 starts. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how are we justified by faith? By being fully persuaded that what God promised, He's able also to perform. Now what is it that we believe God will do for us? We saw yesterday that just as God the Father raised up Jesus from the dead, we are fully persuaded that God will raise us up to walk in newness of life. That's faith, and that's a justified experience. 
That's justification by faith. When we have that experience, we have peace with God. Now, what we haven't mentioned because of the time factor, if you look at Romans 1, 2, and 3, what you see is that the wrath of God is poured out against the wicked. And yet, if you're justified by faith, you have peace with God. So no longer do you... You don't have to worry about the wrath of God. And remember, God is loving, God is merciful. He will save sinners like us if we are justified by faith. If we are fully persuaded that God can raise us up to walk in newness of life, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then as you go through the next few verses, it's interesting. Paul doesn't use the word sanctification, but in essence it's what he's describing in verses 3, 4, and 5. Um, Notice what verses 3, 4, and 5 say. So we're justified by faith, and then as we have this experience of justification by faith, notice what Paul says. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So guess what happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ. The devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And the Lord allows us to go through trials, which helps us to develop a maturity in our Christian experience. Notice how Paul says, look, we glory in tribulation because this tribulation worketh patience. And what is patience? This is verse 3 of Romans 5. And in verse 4, notice what patience develops in our lives. It gives us experience. Now, if you have experience in, tri- in tribulation, what do you think you're going to be looking forward to? You're going to be looking forward to heaven when there will be no more trials. And that's what that hope is that the, the experience of trials brings. So when we live the Christian life, we will have trials. But God allows that to happen to us because it helps to develop patience in our lives, which gives us experience, which helps us to have hope in the coming eternal life. But we're justified by faith, so we have peace with God. So if, if we're going through the trials of life, we still have hope in the future life as long as we stay justified. And God allows us to go through these experiences to develop our characters for what is coming. And so that's the beginning part of Romans 5. So as we're justified by faith, we go through the experience of sanctification, which a lot of times people try to separate justification and sanctification from each other. And theologically speaking, you can make an argument that, yes, they are different. Justification is imputed righteousness. Sanctification is imparted righteousness. However, if you study scripture, sanctification is merely evidence that you're justified. So if you're not living a sanctified life, you're not justified. Because what we saw yesterday is, and what we're going to see is that to be justified means to be dead, to sin. So let's continue on here. The last half of Romans 5, which can be a little bit tricky theologically. Um, All I'm going to say is that what it talks about in the last half of the chapter is that Adam's sin has had an effect on all men. And it's true. If Adam had not sinned, we would not be in the situation we are in now. It's undeniable. 
Because Adam sinned, we are all born with fallen sinful natures. And we have to fight against the tendencies of our sinful nature because of Adam's sin. However, what Romans 5 speaks about is that really we give too much credit to Adam for the way we live our lives. Because what you see in the last half of Romans 5 is that the second Adam came. And that's Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus has done for us, if we accept it by faith, is far more powerful for what it can do in our lives than the effect that Adam's sin had on us. And too many times we use Adam's sin as a crutch to say, well, it's just the way I'm born. Sorry. But what Paul is saying is that, yes, Adam had an effect on all men. It's clear. But because of what Christ has done, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He has provided a way to help us live a righteous life because he is more powerful. His life is more powerful than what Adam's sin did that affected us. And it's interesting, in Romans 5 verse 10, it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now that's interesting because we talk about how Christ's death has saved us and that's absolutely true. If Jesus hadn't died for us, we could not be saved. But you, did you know that we're also saved by his life? Because he gave us an example to follow so that his life shows us that we can live the same life that he did. And, and Romans 8, 3, and 4 shows us that. Romans 8, 3, and 4 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So how are we saved by Christ's life? Well, because Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, his righteousness can be fulfilled in our lives if we walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. So not only are we saved by his death, we're saved by his life. That's powerful. And so, yes, Adam has had an effect on all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all chosen to sin and follow what Adam did. But Christ has lived a sinless life, making it possible for us to live his righteous life here on this earth. When you get to the end of Romans 5, starting in verse 20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And all that's saying is that, look, the law points out sin. When Adam sinned, the law entered and said, You are under condemnation because you sinned. That's all Paul is saying. And Paul gets very technical and theological, but in simple language when it says the law entered that the offense might abound, all Paul is saying is, is that when Adam sinned, the law was there to say you are under condemnation, you must die. But, notice what he says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And you know what a lot of Christians do with that verse? They say, hey, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The more we sin, the more grace we receive. And you know, Paul actually condemns that. He already condemned that in Romans 3, where he says, um, in, starting in verse um, 6, 
Fourth, verse 7, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And notice verse 8, And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, Let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. People were saying, even based on what Paul was saying back when he was alive, Hey, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The more we sin, the more of God's grace will receive. And Paul is saying, if you teach that, you're in big trouble. Because notice what he's saying is, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But notice the point in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, and we know this, the wages of sin is death, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign. So there's a reign of sin and there's a reign of grace. What's the reign of sin? It's death. Well, what's the reign of grace? Notice what Paul says. The reign of grace is that grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. So what's grace about? It's about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ through His grace, we receive eternal life. Now that's the good news of the gospel. Now notice what Paul says then starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. So people read this and they say, wow, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, and grace reigns to eternal life. So wow, the more I sin, the more grace I receive, and that means I'll have eternal life, and that's very flawed logic. But I've heard people say this. So I'm not saying something that I'm just making up. People today actually believe that. Notice what Romans 6 verse 1 says. And there were not chapter demarcations when Paul wrote this. So this is a direct continuation of thought in verse 1. He's, Romans 6, I believe, is one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. And I would encourage you to go back and study this more. But notice what Paul says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because he just said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But now he's saying, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Notice what he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now notice what Paul is saying is, we are dead to sin. If you are dead to sin, you don't keep sinning. And we talked about this yesterday. Let's just say somebody dies. And, I mean, this is kind of crude to think about, but if you think about it this way, someone dies, and then someone comes up to the dead person, starts kicking them, beating them, punching them. That dead person does not respond. And when we are dead to sin, we don't respond to the pulls of sin. Sure, we may be tempted, but remember, Christ was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. We do not have to give in to sin. Notice what Paul says here, continuing. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Did you know that when you are justified by faith, you're dead to sin? I'm going to prove that here. Continuing on, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Remember what we talked about from Romans 4? Righteousness will be imputed to us if we believe in God who raised up Jesus from the dead. And if we believe that he can raise us up to walk in newness of life, we receive justification by faith. 
Notice what, the next few verses are very powerful. Notice what Paul says starting in verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now how was Jesus, how did Jesus die? How did Jesus die? He was crucified on the cross. And Paul is saying, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we will be raised up the same way he was. Now it's interesting, just in passing, in John chapter 12, Jesus speaks in verses 23 and 24 about how he will die. John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. Here we read, And Jesus answers them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. How will he be glorified? Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You know what that verse is saying? Jesus is saying, Because I will die on the cross, I will bring forth much fruit. And Paul is saying, we, if we are planted together in the likeness of his death, we will be in the likeness of his resurrection. And Jesus is saying, when I die, I will bring forth much fruit. And do you realize that a seed that is planted bears the fruit of the likeness of the seed that was planted? So Jesus is the seed that was planted. We are planted together in the likeness of his death. And just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, as coming from that seed, will be raised up to walk in newness of life, which means that the life that Christ lived will be the lives that we will live when we are raised up to walk in newness of life. Because he, when he died, he's the seed that was planted that brings forth fruit. If you plant a seed of corn, what you get is the likeness of the seed of corn, the same likeness. So if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which means to be crucified with Christ, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And verse 6 points this, proves this point. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You know what our big problem is? So many times we say, I accept Jesus as my Savior, but we let the old man stay alive. So we're not dead to sin because we're not crucified with Christ. And so we have a knowledge of Christ, but we don't live his life because we allow the old man of sin to still reign in our lives. We don't let him be crucified because we like him just enough. Now, most of him we don't like. 98% of the old man is, is a big pain in our lives. But that 2% really helps us out. Because if we didn't have that, that 2% that would just help us to kind of put someone in their place when they get on our nerves and um, help us to just indulge our appetite a little bit more even though we know we shouldn't, that's the little part of the old man that we like. The rest of it we don't like. Yeah, we know we shouldn't be grumpy. We know we shouldn't do this and that and whatever. And we wish that part of the old man wasn't there, but we just need a little bit of him. And that's human nature. We tell ourselves, I'll get rid of most of him, but I'll just keep a little bit. But what Scripture is saying is, 
the old man must be crucified with Christ so that the body of sin can be destroyed. And then verse 7 is the clincher. Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if you have a King James, do you know what the marginal reading is for freed from sin? It's justified. Freed from sin means justified. So the King James translators put in freed from sin, and they missed what Paul was saying here. What Paul is saying is in order to be justified, you have to be dead to sin. You have to be crucified with Christ. And we talked about that the first day. So many people go around thinking, misunderstanding that they're actually justified by faith when they haven't crucified the old man of sin. And so they really don't have justification by faith because justification by faith is being dead to sin so that we can be raised up to walk in newness of life and live Christ's life on this earth. And that's what it means when it says the just shall live by faith. We live by the faith of Jesus Christ. We live his life here on this earth. And in the interest of time, I'll, I'll need to wrap up here. But what we're going to do, we're going to continue on with Romans 7 tomorrow. But the last couple of points I want to show you is starting in verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, that means we've been crucified with him, which means we are justified. We believe that we shall also live with him. So we live a new life with Christ. Now, notice what this life is that Paul describes. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Do you realize Christ doesn't keep coming down from heaven and dying again on Calvary over and over and over again. When the power of the Father raised him up from the dead, Christ is never going to die again. That was it. Death has no more dominion over him. Verse 10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And then this is the most amazing concept in Scripture found here in Romans 6. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is where saving faith is required. We must be fully persuaded that God has raised us up to live a new life that is dead to sin and that he will be able to perform what he has promised. That is righteousness by faith. And then notice what Paul says in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And notice verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Look, death does not have dominion over Christ. He doesn't die anymore. If you are dead to sin, sin does not have dominion over you, and by comparison, you don't sin anymore. Now, it is true that if any man sin, we have an advocate, and we can confess, and he will forgive us our sins. But remember, that's plan B in God's plan of salvation. Plan A, he says, my little children, I write unto you that you sin not. That's 1 John 2. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. But the first point is, I write unto you that you sin not. Plan B is, well, if you do sin, you can be forgiven. But that's plan B. God is looking for people who will stay dead to sin. 
who will not allow sin to have dominion over them, who are not under the condemnation under the law, but who are under the power of grace, who are dead to sin. And this is, this is where I'll stop today. The rest of the chapter talks about being either servants to sin or servants to righteousness. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow as we get into the concept of Romans 7, which is actually one of the most misunderstood chapters in the Christian church. And we're going to look at it from a biblical standpoint tomorrow to see what Paul is really talking about. So why don't we have a closing prayer and we will wrap up. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for the message of Romans, that we can be justified by faith, that we can be dead to sin, raised up to walk in newness of life. Thank you for the power that you've given to us. May we accept it. May we be fully persuaded. May we follow you so that we can have a justified life by faith. Be with us now as we go throughout our work today here at the hospital. May you bless us as we touch the lives of the people we interact with. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.